This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. The title of the book, Freedom of the Butterfly, and the author is Beverly Peterson, and Beverly joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Beverly. Hi, Steve. How are you this morning? Well, I'm doing great, and great to have you on the show. We're going to talk about a web of relationships in your book. That what That's what makes it so popular. Everybody wants to know, what are the characters up to now? <laughs> and thus, there's a, there's a, this is a sequel. It is a sequel. Um, my first book was uh, Free Love is Like a Butterfly, and that was going to be my one and only book just because I wanted to do it. And I had so many people come up to me and wanting to know when the next book was coming out. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not doing the next book. And they said, oh, yeah, you have to. We <laughs> want to know what's happening in your book. You can't leave us hanging like that. <laughs> right. And that's where Freedom of the Butterflies was born. I guess the reason why your theme connects with everyone, because it is the theme of life, it's the search for love and understanding. You can't get much more basic. It is. And, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, oh, my gosh, you wrote my life story. (laughs) And I didn't realize how many people have things in common. Right. Well, it it is a universal quest. We want to be loved. We want to be understood. And so we're going to talk about Bob and Mary and Jeff and Dolly, and there's probably some other characters, how they, really how they helped each other in this search, and maybe in some cases they didn't help each other that much. Right. And we also have a few characters that are looking out for their own interests, no matter what it costs somebody else. Oh, there's unfortunately reality of life, right? That's correct. Yes, we know some of those people around us. We know them, unfortunately, probably too well. We try and filter through our friends and make sure we don't have too many of those in our life. So let's talk about you a little bit, a little bit about your background and why you did this. Well, I used to write for myself, and then... uh, We bought a resort in Hayward, Wisconsin, which is in the upper northwest corner of Wisconsin. And the resort commanded all your attention. You were there seven days a week. And from early morning, eight o'clock in the morning, the doors opened until late at night. And so you didn't have any time to do anything but go home and collapse. So when we sold the resort, I had some time on my hands, and it was like, okay, now what do we do? And that was the first thing that came to my mind as I wanted to write. So how were these characters born? Who are they? Do you know them? Well, you know, when we had the resort, uh, we would have coffee in the morning, and people would come in, and they would sit and talk with me. And they would tell me their life story, whether I asked them or not. And it's... (laughs) All that is stored in your memory, so when you start writing, you gleam from those life experiences. Because, like I said earlier, 
everybody has the same experiences, maybe just a little bit different, but we're living through the same thing. And so a lot of the characters I know, maybe not exactly the way the characters are, but I can, the experiences that they go through are from people that have told me about their experiences. Well, let's talk about Bob. Tell us about Bob. What makes him tick? Well, Bob is a professional. He's in the banking industry, and his whole attention is on his job and job performance because he knows there's other people waiting to take his job. So his family and his wife are not on his priority list. So that's, that kind of lays the groundwork for the story because all of a sudden his wife Mary realizes she has taken care of the children and her husband all her life. Her children are in high school now and they don't really need her like they did when they were younger. And she's getting no attention from Bob at all. And so she has to think about her life and think if this is the way she wants to spend the rest of her life. And so she goes on a journey, and on that journey she meets all these other characters. And while she's gone, Bob's secretary thought this is a perfect time to try and latch on to Bob. So this is kind of the basis of the book. A bit, a, a bit of a soap opera. It is. It's exactly like a soap opera. But that's what life is. Correct. Definitely. So we have Bob who's trying to... Well, how hard is he trying to hold on to his marriage? Well, he's not at all until he realizes that Mary has, has had her last straw and she's going to leave him. And then, all of a sudden, he's trying really hard to hold on to his marriage. And he likes to blame others. He doesn't want to look in the mirror and point at himself. Well, and I think that's pretty typical of all people. When somebody says to them that they are not treating other people right, uh, they don't like to look at what they're doing. They like to look at the situations around them, saying... You know, this isn't my fault. This is what happened. And so it takes a lot for him to realize he needs to change. What do you expect of me? I mean, what? I can only do so much, right? That's right. Especially when his job is a priority. Right. And in our, in our culture, I think we create that where when you have a job of position, then, uh, the they expect you to give a hundred percent, no matter what else is going on in your life, right? Because the corporation feels that's the most important, right? Then Mary meets Jeff. Yes, she does. Tell us about Jeff and Mary. Well, Mary decided to to escape for a couple of weeks just to get her head on straight because she knew. She was making decisions that would affect her whole family. And she ended up in a little town called Midland, and she stopped at a motel, and the lady who owned the motel also owned a cafe, 
And she asked Mary if she would like a job for a couple of weeks. And Mary said yes, because that would keep her occupied. And Jeff comes into the cafe for coffee and meals. And that's where they met each other. Mary was not looking for an involvement with anybody. And quite honestly, Jeff wasn't either. But they had some sort of attraction that... Um, led to other circumstances. And there is the big event that brings them together. Uh, there was a, an accident. Uh, Jeff had gone back to Mary's hometown to try and get Mary and Bob back together because he knew if he wanted any type of relationship with Mary, he would have to end the relationship with Bob, but he needed Mary to do that. He was not going to get involved. So he was actually a very good friend. But then when he went back to Midland, he was so consumed with this, he drove out of a parking lot and there was an accident, which put him in the hospital with a concussion, and they could not wake him up. And that was enough to bring Mary back to Midland to sit by his bedside, hoping she could get him out of this coma. So your book has some very down-to-earth but very uh, needed uh, messages, themes. We all relate because you talk about life, you talk about marriage, family, self-esteem, talk about the need to be, I guess, to be honest and true, true to yourself and true to others. That's, that's the best quality you can find in a friend and find in yourself is you have to be honest about what is happening and you have to be true to yourself because you are your best friend. A lot of people try to do everything for everyone and often neglect themselves. And that's exactly where Mary found herself because she was always there for her children, for her husband. She was doing things for her friends and all of a sudden she realized nobody was paying attention to her in what she needed in life. And so that was the basis of the book. And when it comes right down to it, even with all our friends who care about us, family who love us, friends who love us, when it comes right down to it, we have to make final decisions in our life. We have to eventually decide what well, how we're going to find happiness. That's true, and that's the hardest part because when you make decisions like that, it's, it's like a ripple effect. It affects everybody around you. And if you're honest with yourself, you have to work through all those things to see if the decisions you are making are the decisions that are correct for everyone. So your book, or family-based, how important are families to you and, and what kind of theme about families are you representing in your in your books? Uh, family is very important. Uh, I have had people in my family who have gone through divorces, who have gone through really hard times and sometimes the only thing you can do to help is just be there for them, not necessarily telling them what to do but let them vent. And so uh, 
that's something I'm, I was trying to project in the stories is that, uh, especially with Jeff and Mary, he was always there for her on a friendship level. And Dolly, who owned the cafe and the motel, was also there on a friendship level. Both Dolly and Jeff had gone through some very serious trying times in their life. And so they were able to relate to uh, Mary and uh, she had she was lucky to have very good friends like that. Beverly Peterson, she's the author of Freedom of the Butterfly. It's a sequel, and she, what do, what is your website, Beverly? It's beverlypetersonauthor.com. Beverlypetersonauthor.com. Now people are clamoring for another one, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> well... You know, I, I kind of left, left the book where there could be a sequel, was not planning on one, but um, I did not totally end all the relationships, and so people have been talking to me saying, okay, when's your next book coming out, because we want to know what's happening with these people. And so that's something I need to think about. So there may be another book, but right now we have... Freedom of the Butterfly, and your first book, Love is Like a Butterfly. What's the best way to get your book, Beverly? Uh, you can either get it on Amazon.com or AuthorHouse.com, and you can get my book at either site. Thank you so much, Beverly, for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you for having me, Steve. You have a good day. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, I Kill, and the author, Murali Vanugapalan. And Murali joins us now on Author Talk. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Good morning, Steve. This book is a fast-paced thriller, as you describe it. In fact, you say it'll keep your mind guessing and your knuckles white. <laughs> We're talking about terror striking a college campus through the use of technology. And in today's world, unfortunately, that's almost reality. So this is a scary, scary plot. Yes. I'm not quite sure where the idea you know, came to me, you know, I think obviously, you know, 
listening to the news and the reality, as you said, of, of events in the world today. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of it was, was pure imagination in terms of, uh, you know, development of the characters and the plot and, uh, you know, how, how the, how the plot proceeds toward the end. But, uh, yes, it, it's, it's an example of domestic, uh, terrorism, um, that unfortunately takes place on a rural campus uh, in southern Virginia. I was living in Virginia at the time. Um, fictional, uh, completely fictional, and um, uh, kind of you know, made up everything in my head. <laughs> and it's a classic whodunit. You're a great fan of Agatha Christie, Dean Koontz, uh, Stephen King. So this is uh, that kind of read, and uh, you might not sleep very well uh, if you read it before you go to sleep. That, that's the feedback I've received, uh, Steve. I think, uh, you know, it, it was my intention to write a pure detective story, and... As I wrote the novel, you know, it turned into something that was a little more ominous and cryptic, scary. My main influences, as you said, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, Agatha Christie, um, uh, Edgar Allan Poe actually wrote the first uh, uh, modern mystery uh, novel. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, and then later Dean Kuntz, uh, David Baldacci, uh, Stephen King, and, and some other writers, uh, greatly influenced by Kafka, uh, mainly for his humor, um, you know, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's a mystery novel that, uh, turns scary and, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think you know, as, as it would turn out, uh, is is a reflection of uh, what's going on in in current events. And the title "I Kill," of course, because of technology, is not spelled like we might think. Capital I and then K I L L. It's small I K I L L, with all being one word because of all that we know about in this high-tech world, iPhones, uh, iTunes. So here we have this serial killer, and he calls himself iKill. Yeah, he or she, uh, oh, okay. uh, you know, uh, is this quote-unquote iKill. And as you said, uh, small i and then capital K-I-L-L, because there's all these things in technology that have i this, i that. And uh, I'm not just referring to... Apple products, but um, the the serial killer in this novel uh, uh, goes by you know the name of I Kill, and uh, is one of the the obviously real characters in the novel, but you know goes by the title I Kill. And what makes this novel, I think, extremely scary, and I have no idea where I came up with the idea. Again, pure imagination. Um, I love being creative, of course, as, as, as writers do. Is this character I kill uh, targets um, one victim after another, 
and what he or she does is send emails to prospective victims, the next victim, and includes in the email an attachment or a couple attachments that are pictures of the last victim slain. And this is, you know, I mean, it's morbid, it's very scary, and it scares the hell out of, uh, you know, um, the reader, let alone the, the, the person reading the email. And, you know, then that person fears that he or she's going to be the next victim. And as it turns out, that's what happens. So, yeah, the, the name, uh, I pretty much just came up with. And then, uh, you know, that, that's what, uh, this character that goes by Eichel does. So, uh, the book is basically named after the pseudonym that, uh, the serial killer uses. So this rural college campus, uh, Blackwood College in Virginia, obviously because of this, is paralyzed with fear. Here we have a madman lurking among them, and the detective, the private detective, Tom Malkin, he plays an extremely important part in the whole plot. Correct. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, creating the character of Tom Malkin, um, he is a Gulf War veteran. He's also an uh, Iraq War veteran, and he'd worked for Homeland Security, uh, an intelligence expert, and he's an alum of uh, Blackwood College. And what would happen is he's mainly that the book begins where he's invited as an alum to give a speech on uh, fighting international terrorism in the 21st century. And as it turns out, the night that he stays there, supposed to leave the next day for D.C., uh, the first murder occurs. And he feels an obligation and truly wants to to look into the matter and, you know, consults with uh, local law enforcement and says, you know, I... I feel an obligation. This is my alma mater. I studied here. I, I actually, you know, Edgar Hall, uh, which is where most of the story takes place, a residence hall, uh, was the residence hall in which he lived when he was a student there. So uh, Tom Malkin, uh, you know, uh, gets a thumbs up from from local law enforcement to help out and. You know, it, again, it, like as you mentioned, it's a it's a small, relatively small, uh, rural campus. Uh, they'd never had anything like this, uh, and you know, they welcome uh, and are honored by uh, his um, willingness to help out in the investigation, and and then he's much needed. Well, the adrenaline really pumps, obviously, with this kind of terror on campus. Let's talk about a couple more characters. Jerry Fowler. Oh, okay. That, uh, I was I was going to bring him up. I'm, I'm glad you asked about him. Uh, you know, each character has backstory. And uh, uh, Jerry Fowler is, uh, in the beginning of the book, uh, I should mention a little bit about the timeline. 
Um, this book takes place right after Thanksgiving break, when the students return from Thanksgiving break to the residence hall up to uh, finals week. So it's within about a, a, a fortnight. And uh, uh, Jerry Fowler uh, turns up late. And then he's, he's kind of missing, then he's there, he's a very mysterious individual, uh, clearly hiding something, and he and, you know, a couple of the other characters, uh, they, um, they, they, you know, they have their own backstory, and in this case, the common backstory is use of drugs, again, not something uncommon, uh, unfortunately, in in college or in high school, for that matter. He's in on it with with some of the others, and it doesn't necessarily make Jerry a murderer. However, uh, he, he is uh, one of the prime suspects, and uh, you know Malkin and and officers Morgan and and Gall and and Foster and and so forth. Uh, they you know they look into a situation, but there's a very interesting twist in the book, and I would have to say it's uh, probably my favorite part of the book. It's in chapter 11, and there's a very interesting twist which takes place that involves uh, Jerry Fowler, and, uh, you know, from there, the reader thinks everything is done, and... I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> if uh, if anyone's interested, they can uh, you know Certainly. grab a copy of the book and read it and see what happens. I don't want to give it away, but there's a very interesting twist that happens with that character Jerry Fowler, and uh, so I, I enjoyed writing that part very much. Well, this is one of those classic mysteries with this puzzle. You get all the clues, the hints, uh, but it's still a mystery right up to the end and a lot of twists and turns. Before we leave, let's talk about Mindy Adams. Oh, okay. Uh, thanks for bringing her up, Steve. Mindy is, uh, you know, another serious student, like uh, the first victim, uh, Jenny, and, uh, you know, a few of the other students. You know, I'd say, you know, about half of the, the students in the in the novel are, are are serious and and the other half are you know just there to have fun or are reluctant students like um, uh, Zach Gillett, uh, interesting character. He really wants to be a musician, but his parents forced him to to go to college, and so he's really in a place where he doesn't want to be, and as a result, uh, not a very happy individual. But uh, Minnie Adams, she she receives an email from again this serial killer who goes by the name I Kill and it scares her to death and she can't get to sleep her head's ruminating you know thinking about who could this be you know there have already been two murders and this is I think in, in, in about the middle of the book and she basically decides you know, she can't sleep. She's going to get up and and take a shower. And uh, you know, uh, they of course have these communal bathrooms and residence halls. So she goes, takes a shower. She's 
little afraid to do so, but thinks that'll calm her down and let her get back to her room and, and go to sleep. And uh, instead, uh, this character, Ikel, sneaks into the bathroom. Uh, one of Ikel's traits, by the way, uh, as well as some of the other characters, is whistling, or her whistling. She's in the shower, hears whistling, is scared. Suddenly a knife goes right through the shower curtain, and, you know, Ikel attempts many times, knowing he doesn't have much time, to kill her and is unsuccessful. Her parents want her out of there and to come back home. She's injured. Uh, I kill doesn't get his or her way and uh, and murder her. Uh, she's injured in in the shoulder and taken to a hospital, treated, and her parents want her out out of uh, uh, you know the university and back home. Uh, Mindy refuses. She's a tough uh, individual, and uh, they put her uh, in an undisclosed location, and you know, protected. Uh, who can um, you know receive her homework and other things in that place, and uh, then she returns, and she returns. Uh, once uh, the police believe, including uh, Detective Malkin, that they have uh, solved everything. And then there's another twist. <laughs> and Mindy finds herself uh, petrified and targeted again. And again, I'm just going to leave it at that. That's in the last chapter. Um, and then the chase for her, you know, leads to uh, discovering the identity of I Kill. Again, the title, I Kill. Murali, tell us, what's the best way to get your book? Oh, it's, um, it's available uh, at Amazon.com, uh, Barnes & Noble, or BN.com. Uh, so it's available online. Uh, it's in some Barnes and Nobles uh, bookstores. Uh, you know, I uh, was privileged to do several book signings. Uh, so, um, you know, you might find it there. If not, they can definitely order it for you. And, you know, I encourage everyone if they're interested in a uh, fast-paced mystery to, uh, to pick up a copy and, and give it a chance. Give it a read. I think, I think you'll have some fun and and uh, you may not be able to sleep, but you won't regret it. <laughs> yes, uh, it is that kind of a fast-paced thriller. Murali, thank you so much for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you very much, Steve. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. In the 1950s, kids were about baseball, the Lone Ranger, and apple pie. In the 60s, it was war, finding your freedom in the monkeys. The 1970s brought disco, the Brady Bunch, and self-empowerment. When the 80s arrived, the youth of the world celebrated individuality in a rocking beat. The 90s whizzed by with lots of grunge and many shades of gray. Now, the turn of the century has come and gone, and today's youth has something to say. 
Young Mind Society is the voice of a new generation. Tune in on astronetradio.com Fridays at 6 p.m. Central to hear DJ Y, Carl Papa, Queen Meat, and Princess Jazz lay down the humor, ideas, and thoughts of the now. Remember, Young Mind Society, Fridays at 6 p.m. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled A Drill Sergeant's Fame, and joining me from New York State in the United States of America is the author, Kimberly May. Welcome to the program. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. Well, Kimberly, this is a fascinating book on many levels. It's not super long. It's 115 pages. How would you describe your book or your effort to the audience? Well, my book, A Drill Sergeant's Fame, is about when soldier recruits uh, graduate basic combat training. Everything they become is attributed to the effective training of their drill sergeants. And my book is meant to pay tribute to them as well as past and present soldiers. And it's really meant to um, spark readers' thirst for life urging them to ardently pursue their ambitions. This this book is uh, an outcropping or an out, a result of your being in the military yourself. Uh, you experienced military life in, in what countries? Well, here in the U.S., of course, and then overseas in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, were you involved in direct uh, conflict, or how would you describe your responsibilities there? Well, I was a generator mechanic, which involves... Um, flying out to other cops and fobs to um, fix the generators. So I have a very good understanding of the situation over there that I saw from my perspective, and I got to meet a lot of the local Afghans. So. Your your book is more than just a tell-all or a biogra- biographical sketch. You, you have um, couched your writing in the form of poetry, which I found fascinating. I also found it interesting that most of your observations were not negative in, in nature. I mean, the uh, would you describe your book as really a positive uh, approach to the story? Right. It seems to be an inspiration to others. Um, It's actually a poetry journal in which, with most of the poems, I've added um, personal journal notes to clarify maybe where I was or what I was thinking. And there's also blank pages for the readers to add in their own notes. You have photos also that you have taken during your your time in the military. um, Do you have any other life sources that have contributed to this? Other experiences, I guess, is is probably a better way of saying that, uh, beyond the military, that, that maybe have inspired you to do this. Well, I started writing young, and it's something I've always loved to do because I like the fact that you can write something down and five different people can read the same thing and yet have different opinions on what they read. So I guess writing has always fascinated me. Um and I actually do come from the uh, same tribal area that um, George Bernard Shaw is from in Ireland. Hmm. The Macintosh plant. So 
that could kind of just run in my blood, too. <laughs> well, that's interesting. But I'm learning. I'm still a student and um, real excited uh, about my first book. It's the first one published so far. So, Do you have also a military background in addition to enrolling in the military? I, my understanding is your family has a, a fairly broad tradition of military service. Um, that's correct. I come from a large military family. We've had um, officers, um, enlisted personnel all throughout the ranks serve. Um, I did have, unfortunately, a couple cousins die from Agent Orange. Um, so I have a very large, rather, perspective on the whole military life and pretty much how it affects others around you. And that's something else I'm excited about my book is that I'm uh, donating a portion of the proceeds to help other veterans. Exceptional. So. Your book, mm -hmm. is it something that is going to be interesting only to military people, or will the, the regular public, who maybe doesn't have an insight into the life and liberties that are produced by the military, will they also find this a good read? Um, yeah, well, actually, I do have some reviews posted on my website, and one of the ladies that did a, an exceptional review thoroughly of my book, um, she has family members um, in uh, different uh, aspects of the service, like CIA and such. But what she uh, said in her review was that it made reading my book helped her to understand her family that served um, on a deeper level. Why do you think your book is... Um uh, positive or uplifting or motivational in style. Uh, that, for most readers, would be a slight surprise when they understand where you are writing your your uh, observations from. Well, I, I have a love for life and experiencing new things. And, you know, I was told in grade school that life is... 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. So, and I found that to be 100% true um, thus far in life. <laughs> and uh, my book, I'd like to kind of impart that to others and it helps them, other people to see when you're in a dark situation, how if you just take a step back and, and look at all the aspects, there's usually a very positive uh, place that's a that's a very uh, phenomenal life perspective i have a relative who is going through a dark place in a dark future perhaps and has chosen to focus on the dark and not the, the positive things that I, I absolutely could come from that situation and also uh, are surrounding them uh, is there any of your poetry any of your pieces that you have penned that you think might be a good reflection or give people a good insight into to how you have approached this this writing material I'm sure. Uh, actually, I will read to you um, Afghanistan, Beauty or Boils, Things That Seem Aren't Always So. Mm -hmm. um, on my way to a land that seems nothing more than sand, at a closer look, just take a glance. One can see out here there's a different kind of life and dance. Not one that's dreadful or sad to push forth a tear, rather a wondrous marvel captured in a whirlwind of fear. Life as it was so long ago, Recent ages can ne'er behold the beauty of a way so simple and light, now to us and shameful with a dark and gruesome sight. Those enemies who try to crack with an atrocious terror, we the U.S. military soldiers become the shearer. 
teaching Afghans right, training each and every day, making a way for these Afghans to once take back their country and culture, no more to be jacked. Nemesis disbanded, freedom rings in a different way, making certain to destroy any and all Taliban protege. Excellent. Share a, a little more insight into the title, A Drill Sergeant's Fame. You yourself were not in a drill sergeant's capacity in the military, if I'm understanding your background, but still you Correct. focused on a drill sergeant's fame. Why the drill sergeant? Well, like I said, um, whenever a soldier makes it through basic training, everything they become is directly because of our drill sergeants. And they have a very, very tough life. It's really grueling, and it'll last for months and months before they even get a break. So, But I'll read to you a, a short, shorter uh, caption of a drill sergeant's fame, the poem. Beautiful. Which is what my book is named after. The drill sergeants we've come to know are prodigies at making us feel well, for their voices do precisely yell to viciously dish out hell. They love to exclaim, beat your face, we'd like to put in their eyes just a bit of mace. Tis a vengeful thought for now, I'm sure they have a secret calculating vow, and while running the two-mile race, our drill sergeants will be all up in our face. Hey, you Riri, you're such a window licker, you better move those legs quicker. Our drill sergeants, or I'm sorry. That's our drill sergeant's way. They make us baller and say, you rode the short bus, not I. We can tell by the demon in your eye. And then it goes on for a little while longer, but then at the end I'm just going to redo the last portion, which is really what I was talking about before. Yes. So now at their best, they'll be seen downrange, together in combat, killing without shame. Stop and realize they'll be filled with pride, fighting to be or to be fighting so fiercely right at their side. Then in there, this won't lie. Thank you, drill sergeants, for this long and ludicrous ride. Beautiful commendation for that difficult position in the military. You mm-hmm. have, uh, have you developed any friendships that have been uh, carried beyond your military experience? I'm curious about that, whether there's some lifelong friendships have developed or whether it's just a respect for the positions and the duty of those who have served. Um, definitely some lifelong friends. Um, I'm actually going to be going down to a reunion for um, the 2nd 506, 101st. They're who I served with and went overseas. And uh, there's a couple females and other soldiers there that uh, I keep in contact with. And uh, Yeah, it's like a bond that just never goes away. Well, that's good to know. I, I have some of those bonds from my school relationships that go back many years uh, longer than I'd like to admit and I was I, I have not always uh, felt that military guys wanted to remember and stick with their buddies some of them do some do not uh, so that's good news I'm happy to hear that now your book is is unique in that it is a, um, a military story but it's done in a positive manner and also in poetic format is this book different from others in the marketplace, do you think? Um, yeah, there's actually no other poetry journals that I've heard of. Um, so in, in addition to adding insight after each poem, um, my book's uh, broken up into chapters. Uh, so you can readily ex- find uh, what you're looking for. And is there any, was there any difficulty or complexity in, in actually assembling the material for this? And if so, how did you overcome it? And how long did it take? Well, I actually wrote it um, in the course of about 
three years when I was in the military, and originally it was just uh, a collection of my thoughts, poems I wrote to help other females in basic and such. But as time progressed, I ended up um, seeing the value of my written words. Um, Some of my friends had read some of the things and um, really inspired me to actually go ahead with the publication process. And that in itself probably was one of the harder issues you know it was my uh, first time first experience but um, I went through author house and they were really explanatory and helpful through the process and and other one or two maybe three words that might describe the underlying message that you have shared in your book um yeah honor hope and perseverance Hope and perseverance, wonderful words, and certainly uh, commendable work that you have com- accomplished. Were you uh, in in the process? Did you enjoy it enough that you may have a sequel to this particular release? Um. Well, I guess a, a sequel in essence. Um, the next novel that I'm working on um, is referenced is in reference to one of the poems that I wrote in the poetry journal, and it. Uh, takes you through a journey um, of a situation that a soldier finds themselves in, and then all of the repercussions and aftermath. But again, in a positive twist to uh, invoke inspiration and change in people. Wonderful. Well, we certainly need books and uh, articles that are positive in nature. Thank you for sharing your story and also sharing the contents of your book, A Drill Sergeant's Fame. My author has been Kimberly May. Kimberly, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Sure, you can go on my website. It's at kimmymay.com. That's K-I-M-M-I-E-M-A-E.com. And you can also find it on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. They can do a search under your name, too, Kimberly, spelled uh, in the traditional manner, and May, M-A-E, and uh, Mm -hmm. find out about any books that may be released in the future and perhaps join you someplace on a fan page. Would love to, I'm sure, keep in touch with you and find out about more of your writing Mm -hmm. endeavors. Thank you again for joining me today, Kim. Oh, you're very welcome, and thanks for having me. My pleasure. For Author House, this is J. Douglas Barker.